see in the room. Just want to thank you personally that they're here. Thank you, for Lord, for the gift of godly women and mothers, young and old, who show us in their individual particular way a facet of your goodness, your character, your perseverance, your sacrifice. We love you, Lord. I don't know a single thing about motherhood except what your word tells me, nothing from experience. So give me grace, Lord, to give grace and encouragement and blessing from your word to all who listen, Lord, but especially today to women and moms. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I spoke to my mother yesterday and told her the passage of Scripture I was going to open with you this morning and was very interested in what her reaction might be. Last week, we began a series in the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. And now it's Mother's Day. So I told my mom, and I've told several women, and, uh, women on our staff, women in our church, pastor friends around the country, that today, because it's Mother's Day, and because we're in a series through the book of Proverbs, I'm going to Proverbs 31. Did you hear? Did you hear the mixed reaction? There was tension. There was fear. Pastor friend told me I'm not that crazy and not that dumb. I wish you all the best. Now, why would a pastor saying that he's opening the Bible in any particular portion of God's Word, why would he get strong reactions? Why at a party yesterday to celebrate a great young man's graduation, I told a young father what I was doing, and he gave the proverbial sign of distress. <laughs> well, why is that? If I tell people I'm preaching from the Beatitudes of Jesus, everybody says, great. We're in the Old Testament. Fantastic. We're going to tackle the book of Revelation. Wonderful. I've been wondering what's going on in the world. Why Proverbs 31 elicit such a strong reaction? I'll tell you why. Proverbs 31 has often been used to create insecurity and guilt among the daughters of God. Many women feel this as an oppressively, impressively, impossibly high standard that they will never meet. The last thing I would do for anyone but particularly for my sisters in Christ, and particularly on Mother's Day, is to burden you with a man-made standard and a tradition that no human being could ever possibly achieve. What's going on here? Well, comparison is the theft of contentment. And I am confined to only half of the human experience as a human being who is a man, but I've had godly women tell me that a drive and an insecurity and a fear to continually compare themselves and what they have with other women and what they have is the greatest constant chronic pain of their lives. Are they prettier? Are they wealthier? Is their husband better looking? Is their husband a better worker? Is their husband a better father? Where do they live? What kind of house? What are they driving? Are their kids successful? Do they have grandchildren? Where do they live exactly? 
constant swirling comparisons, and here in Orange County, California, we have perfected the art of making, peel, making people feel discontented by chronically comparing themselves to things that no one can attain. Social media has only made that worse. The most beautiful people on social media don't actually look like that in real life. I don't know if you know that. Because I'm a pastor and I, on a very small scale, am a public person and meet people sometimes after they watch me online or engage with me on social media. We may meet weeks after we engage in email or in social media. Three or four times, I have not readily recognized the person that I've been talking to for several weeks because they've put so many filters and effects on their own pictures that they look radically different in real life here in this auditorium than they did on Instagram. And a wise counselor told me what visual lust is for most men, comparison is to most women. The need to continually compare and the chronic fear that you're always coming up short no matter what you do plagues most women. I have good news for you. Proverbs 31 was not given to tell every woman that she will always be inadequate. Your Heavenly Father, who made you and sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for you and then sent His Holy Spirit to give you new life, is wiser and better than that. This is not a checklist and a burden on which you will never measure up. That is not the intent of this part of God's Word or any part of God's Word where the Word of God shows you that we have fallen short in terms of our own righteousness and our own morality and our own goodness. It only shows us how far we fall short of God's standard to then make the glorious announcement that what we couldn't do, Jesus did. And who we could never be, Jesus always has been and is for us. That in other words, even the hard words of the Bible that show you your sin and show you your guilt and show you your shame, all do that to prepare you for the gift of a Savior. If you didn't see that you were falling short, you would never be prepared or ready to welcome that Savior. So this part of the Word of God in Proverbs 31 where wisdom is being announced, was certainly not given to crush you for the rest of your life. Here are some notes to understand Proverbs 31. The source of these sayings was a woman. And the first listener was a young prince. Open your Bibles with me in Proverbs 31. You'll see exactly what I mean. Proverbs Chapter 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Did you get that? What's the number one Bible reading tip at Crosspoint? Slow down. So, the words that are being written down are being written down by who? A king, Lemuel, whoever he is. But this oracle, this pronouncement from the king was taught to him by somebody who taught him what he's about to say. His mother. So she's not the writer. She is the source. 
He's the scribe. She is the source of everything that comes next. Who is Lemuel? Honestly, we have no idea. There is a Jewish legend that says that Lemuel was a pen name or a pet name for the King Solomon himself. And if true, this is the wisdom of Bathsheba, who David once took for his wife. And one of the greatest sins of David's life, desiring her, forcing her to come under the color of authority to his palace, sleeping with her, impregnating her, and then killing her husband, one of David's trusted men, to conceal king, the, day, the king's sin. There is no historical or factual basis to be sure of that, but it is an interesting possibility, however remote, however non-historical, that a woman like Bathsheba has been fully forgiven by God, and whatever else we may sh say about Bathsheba, she was the mother of Solomon. God redeemed her story, lifted her up out of her victimization of the sin committed against her, honored her life by making her the mother of what was then the wisest man in human history. Whoever King Lemuel is, the author, the real source of Proverbs 31, is a woman. This is not our passage, but just listen to her begin to address him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who were destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. What is this? She's saying, son, come here, listen to me. What are you doing? You can't be a drinker. You can't be a drunkard. You'll ruin your life. You'll go in with a wayward woman who will destroy all the goodness in your life. Getting drunk is for people who are dying, people who are destitute, people who have already decided they're going to lose. You have to be sober-minded so that you can do the right thing and defend victims and always be equitable. This is stern talk from a mother to a son. Anybody ever have these talks with mom? My mom to this day, I'm a grown man with two grown children of my own. My mother calls and says, can we talk for a minute? Oh... Yes? <laughs> do I need a witness? Uh, what did I do? And my mind races back all the way into a, the age of about 10 and counts forward all the decades. What stupid thing that I did that she just now found out about are we now going to address? Is she now going to pull rank and tell me a grown man with two grown men and a pastor of a church that I'm coming up short. She has the right to do that. She's wise. This is a mother advising her son, and in Proverbs 31, she's going to get down to talking to him about women. Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, which is the part that has haunted too many women in God's family, is an acrostic poem. 
That's very important for you to understand. What I mean is that the lines of every verse begin with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, if you were reading this in Hebrew, the first line starts with the Hebrew letter A, Aleph. The next line starts with the letter, can you guess? B, Beth, even if you don't know Hebrew. Now, what does this mean? This means, number three, that this is a portrait of godly, virtuous possibility. It's a poetic, highly idealized description of all that a godly woman can be. It's not a complete checklist of duties for every woman who wants to walk with God. Once I begin to read it, you're going to see that not everything that is mentioned even makes sense to you or is even possible for you. The virtues mentioned here portray true strength and beauty from God's point of view. Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10, is the portrait of a godly woman. And it's important to remember, it is a queen talking to her son, the prince. She's already warned him about how drunkenness and sexual immorality can destroy him and thereby ruin the kingdom. She's giving him advice, in other words, as a highly desirable young man, what sort of woman he should look for. This is marriage advice for a young man not yet married. I can't stress this enough because I don't want you laboring under the burden of man-made traditions or a poor reading of this passage in the 21st century that does not honor when it was written about a thousand years ago. Not every woman in the world can be a wife and a mother. That is obvious, and that is one of the things that makes this day difficult for some of my sisters in Christ. It makes no difference. Every woman loved by God and saved by God's Son, Jesus Christ, can be a godly, virtuous woman. You can enjoy the grace and grow into the strength of being God's own precious daughter, whatever your lot and whatever your season in life. Listen to this portrait as a mother continues to advise her son about his future wife, his future marriage. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find... She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. At the outset of this teaching, the queen, the queen mother says that a godly woman is a greater treasure than any earthly wealth. And that's as timely and relevant and as urgent today as it was 3,000 years ago when it was written. I can't tell you the heartbreak and the horror that men bring upon their marriages and upon their children and their grandchildren sometimes for generations when God grants them a godly wife and they do not esteem her as the treasure that she is. And he neglects her instead and pursues physical beauty that he finds in a younger woman and forsakes the vows that he once made to his wife, who, like him, is aging. And he tosses all of that aside. It's the most heartbreaking thing in my pastoral ministry to try to reason with men who have lost their minds because of temptation, because of sin. It's exactly the warning that 
King Lemuel's mother gave him earlier not to give his strength to women. You can read the paper, you can see a very notable trial in American history of how crazy and violent and depraved and degrading human beings can become when each of them are ungodly in a physical and sexual relationship. Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, she is, what's it say? Far more precious than jewels. Take that to the bank, men. And if you're a woman who is married, understand your potential under the grace of God to be the greatest treasure in your husband's life and in your children's life that they will ever have. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. I'll tell you my story. The reason Sharice and I are about to celebrate 30 years, humanly speaking, in very large part, is simply due to her goodness and love. That's it. A man like me marries less of a woman than she. We'd be a mess. She has portrayed grace, faithfulness, Holiness, righteousness, perseverance, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit, I see them in my wife, and I'm just here to tell you. If you desire to be married, set your heart on being this kind of woman. If you are married, this is what God wants for you, to be the incomparable treasure in your home, more precious than jewels, and I will say this for my wife, the heart of Sharice's husband trusts in her, and because of her, I will have and have had no lack of gain. The contrast that King Lemuel's mother is drawing out is the immoral and the foolish woman that brings death rather than life. She's already mentioned that up in verse 3. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. King Lemuel's mom knows that what a foreign army cannot do, a single woman might and Proverbs has warned across its length about the sexual immorality that would destroy both man and woman that are drawn into it. This is advice to a son earlier in the book in Proverbs. It says this, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. That's seduction. That's the infatuation. That's when the comparison begins, men. And you say, boy, she really takes care of herself. She listens. She respects me. Don't hear this at home. I get home and it's just a to-do list. No appreciation. She doesn't know what I'm going through. She doesn't know how I put it on the line for this family every day. This girl over here that I work with, my colleague, my coworker, my secretary, she understands. Careful. That's the comparison that will destroy the lives in every bit of the radius of your relationships. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than, in the, than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. 
Here's what happens to everyone, men and women, who fall into sexual immorality. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. See the contrast? That experience, that fling, that adventure, that well-deserved pleasure will threaten and toss away the worth of a woman whose price and value is greater than any earthly treasure. Number two, let's keep reading. She does him good, verse 12, and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff in her hand hold the spindle. And everybody said, what? <laughs> those, are the two, those are the two arms of an ancient weaving device. She's working, making clothing, in other words. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. That's the center of civic life in ancient Israel. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Are you tired yet, ladies? Oh, my goodness. This is how this passage has been misunderstood, has been, in my opinion, often mistaught and made many women made and loved by God doing their best with the life he gave them and the resources that they have feel chronically inadequate. Can you understand how that misunderstanding would come up? What's actually happening here? Well, you may not know what a spindle and a distaff is. There's not a woman alive who can do all of this and certainly do it all at once. This is virtuous possibility. This is a picture of all a woman could be. What is the principle that this idealized portrait draws out about the woman who is virtuous, who pleases God and is a blessing to her family? Simply this, she's a blessing to her family by diligent work, whatever that may be. Years ago, when I was younger and even dumber than I am today, I was reading Proverbs 31. And I said to my wife, you know, I'm reading all this, and it seems to me that there's some things missing in your schedule. And she said, I told you it was by her grace that we have a good marriage. And she said, well, let's start with my staff, and we'll take it from there. You provide the staff, I'll see you about the other things. She makes a very good point. I'm telling you all that to tell you this is possibility, but what runs all the way through the book of Proverbs, whether the work is in buying and investing and selling or weaving and making, all those things all at once that 
any woman, regardless of the size of her staff, would have a hard time doing, at least at one time, what runs all the way through the book of Proverbs that is now found in this idealized, beautiful portrait of a woman is that work is from God. And that godly people engage in it with the opportunities, the strengths, the abilities that they're given, that they give themselves over to work. Not to displace God and not to make work and the money that it brings an idol, but to be a blessing to others and to reflect back to God through their own work all the goodness and all the opportunity that He gave them. Some of the most pointed, sarcastic teaching in Proverbs all involves work. You may remember if you've read Proverbs, and we may come to this in our series, the writer of Proverbs says to a lazy man, hey, would you come over here with, us, with me for a second? Let's sit down by this anthill. See these ants working? They're better than you. That's the joke in Proverbs. That when a man or a woman is lazy, he's actually dumber than little ants. That ants have a great deal to teach a lazy man. So a godly, virtuous woman is a blessing to her family by her diligent work. Here at the end of the book, Proverbs picks up all the themes it has been teaching and crystallizes them in a woman. Proverbs 14 verse 23 says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. And how many times have I heard both my mother and my wife my mother say to me, my wife say to her children, enough talking, let's get to it. Did you do your homework yet? Well, I don't want to hear it. Go do your homework. No, this is not a democracy. This is a benevolent autocracy. Get in there and get it done. That's a godly, virtuous woman. Look in verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not entirely focused on her family. A godly, virtuous woman also is compassionate toward and generous toward the needy outside her home. Look down in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. In other words, a godly, virtuous woman, when she opens her mouth, the people who listen to her hear wisdom, and they hear kindness. In other words, they hear the words of God himself. Moms, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't praise you and encourage you enough to not underestimate the forever impact you will have on the lives, especially of your children. Both of my boys are grown. One of them is full grown, halfway across the country, doing a big boy job. When he talks about his mom... This big, strong soldier son of mine just becomes a whole other person. She doesn't know because he talks to me about it. How much her example, her teaching has driven him on and kept him out of trouble when he was tempted far from home with all kinds of wickedness that he never saw in his home and he certainly never saw in his mother. Why? Because when my wife was raising him, she continually opened her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness was always in her words. A godly woman shapes godly character in everyone around her. That's the gift. If you do not enjoy the gift of motherhood, take heart. 
When you open your mouth, dear sister in Christ, with wisdom and kindness, it makes an impact. It impacts the men in your life more than you know. Because men, we, we play tough and we're never going to say, boy, you really set me straight with that one. That was good teaching. Thank you so much. I was behaving like an idiot, but thank God you're here with wisdom and you've kindly told me to get it together. I'm going to do it. But men do. Most of us are just too proud to give you credit to do what the Bible says we should do and praise you and recognize you for the difference you've made in your life. Dear sister, don't stop. Number five, look down in verse 28. She, uh, verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. There's the poetry. There's the ideal, there's the ideal vision. This is a portrait of a possibility of all a godly woman can be. Some of the most important words in the Bible, as timely as Twitter, as urgent and as disbelieved as in Orange County as anything else in the Bible. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be what? Praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. A godly woman will be praised by her family and she will be known in private and public by her deeds. Listen, we've built a culture that disagrees with verse 30. That charm and beauty are deceitful and passing and vain. In other words, not that they're ungodly, they're given by God, but they're not all that they promise. There's this store called Forever 21. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. What kind of culture have we created that anybody could name a store that and not be laughed right out of the business? What, how does that even make sense? What are you appealing to? You're appealing to disagreement with, verse 30, that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a godly woman, a righteous woman, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let me tell you the real impact that studying this chapter had on me. If I were a literature professor, which I'm not, but I had a few, and I also had a godless, actually Marxist, communist philosophy professor back in the day, he would use the word to describe this chapter as subversive. Let me explain what I mean. Proverbs, because it's written by a king to instruct his young son. You may remember that from last week. Is for the most part, not all of it, for most of it, is a grown man educating his heir and the future leader of his nation. It is an extremely practical and a very manly book. War is mentioned. Wives, household chores are only mentioned in the context, generally in Proverbs, of what it is good for a man to know. But at the end of the book, 
after, for 30 chapters, Proverbs has explained in every facet of life what true wisdom and true righteousness looks like at the very end of the book. Wisdom idealized, wisdom made visible turns out to be a woman. Which tells you, dear sister, how much God actually really does love and treasure you. And how much quiet power by influence and by example He has given you. Influence that the world does not esteem. Inviting you only to be beautiful and charming and to hold on to that forever. Proverbs says, all of that is deceitful. Beauty is vain. All of that is fleeting. But listen, a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Do you see the bookend? Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the very beginning of the book that sets the tone, the direction, and the foundation for the whole book says, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. At the very end of the book, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, all the life of God, all of the blessings of God, all of the opportunity to love God and to serve Him well and to make your mark on the world, that is not only offered to you, dear sister, it is exalted in a chapter of Proverbs, sourced in a woman, given to you as a gift so that you will always remember this great truth. Every woman who follows the Lord can be like Him. Every Christian woman can be like Christ. Hardworking, generous, faithful, dedicated, loving, a blessing and a lifesaver to all who trust Him. And that is real and true strength. And that will be your greatest beauty. Let's pray together. If I could talk to my sisters for a moment more, are you discouraged by always feeling like you're coming up short? If so, can I just again remind you in very practical terms how much God loves you, that He sent His Son for you, that the Father calls you His daughter. Jesus, by His death and resurrection, actually calls you His sister. That you are a treasure to the Lord who saved you and a treasure also to all who know you inside or outside of marriage, in or out of family, wherever the Lord directs you, whatever opportunity He gives you, if you will walk with the Lord, you will be a treasure unto Him and unto everyone else who has the blessing to know you. The woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Young, old, single, married, widowed, disappointed, broken, betrayed, or dearly loved and cherished by her family, by her employer. doesn't matter. In all of those facets, in all of those seasons, the woman who fears the Lord will be praised. You'll be recognized and blessed and praised by the God who made you and the God who saved you. And your greatest joy and the greatest significance of your life will be to pursue by following Jesus true godliness so that Jesus will do through your godly example everything he desires. You'll stand someday with Jesus and know that your life was well lived. Father, would you bless and help us all see ourselves in your word? 
see our need and our shortcomings, and then see them all covered by your grace. And would you especially bless the whim of this congregation. May they be encouraged. May they be empowered, Lord, to walk in the Spirit, to be and to serve and to love in every way as as you want them to because of your great grace and love for them. Lord, if there's a person here who doesn't know you and they've been putting it off and maybe struggling with it, I pray that this morning they would cross the line of trust right now, tell you they're sorry for their sin, and ask you, Jesus, to save them. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, and Crosspoint says, Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. If you have a card that you'd like to return to us, if you have an offering to give us, you can do that at the exits. If you need prayer, we'd love to see you right over here by the cross. God bless you, and happy Mother's Day.